thank you for joining us for episode 423 of Live Happy Now. By now, we're all aware that the mind and body are connected, but how do we use that knowledge to create our best life? I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with Dr. Greg Hammer, a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, physician, and a mindfulness expert who developed the four-step gain method of mindfulness. As he explains in his book, Gain Without Pain, this is an acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. He teaches this method to reduce stress and increase well-being, and today he's going to talk about how you can create a more intentional and happier life. Let's welcome Dr. Greg Hammer. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, You have a lot to tell us about the power of intention. But before we get to that, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself because, you know, you've been so instrumental in showing us how our mental state affects our physical well-being. So explain to us how you became so attuned with that and why it's so important to you. I have been a lifelong fitness enthusiast in every sense of the word, mental, spiritual, physical and about 10 years ago, I joined a directive at Stanford called WellMD, and that was convened in order to address the growing prevalence of burnout among physicians, which has only probably gotten worse since then. But in any case, I joined WellMD, and then I was asked to give a talk on uh, burnout and wellness at a national meeting, and then another talk, another talk, and then I had some sabbatical time, and I decided to write the book, the first book that I wrote. In the meantime, I've been went to medical school because of my interest in in the human body and the miracle of how all the parts are interrelated. I found that I really had an affinity for people that work with children. They don't seem to take themselves quite as seriously as some of the people in adult medicine, and that comported with my personality. So I did a residency in pediatrics and loved intensive care medicine. So I did a residency in anesthesiology and then fellowships in pediatric anesthesia and critical care. And I've been working in both arenas, the the pediatric intensive care unit and cardiac anesthesia for over 30 years. And I have a research lab at Stanford where we study uh, developmental pharmacology from babies up to adults. And again, my interest in, in wellness has further intensified, I would say. I've been a studied student, rather, of Advaita or non-duality for 12 years or so, and so that has certainly influenced my ways of thinking. And and so everything I I talk about with you probably for the rest of this session is going to have something to do with all of that. So are you seeing more of that in the medical community where they're not just treating the body, but they are looking at things like mindfulness. You're huge on mindfulness. And you're kind of a trailblazer in that way, because I know in my own life, just having a physician that sees things that way has been a challenge. Do you see that changing? I do. I think that just like our medical system as a whole has really focused on disease more than preventing disease. And that ship is kind of slow to turn as we put more resources into preventive medicine now, which is absolutely requisite if we want to be a well society. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I think that physicians and others in medicine have focused on disease and finding, taking sort of a reductionist approach to to health, I would say, trying to 
break things down into their component parts and figure out how to cure things. And I think that sort of colors the profession as a whole. And what we need to do is really move much toward prevention and our own wellness, because unless we are well, it's going to be difficult to take care of others. It's sort of the uh, put your oxygen mask on first, your own oxygen mask before you take care of the child or someone who's acting like a child sitting next to you on the aircraft. <laughs> so yes, I think things are changing, but you know the culture is very well entrenched and it is a big ship and sort of slow to turn, but I do think things are changing in medicine for the better. That's good to hear. And you are so pivotal in this and you teach us so much about what it does to have the right mindset. And what I wanna talk to you about today is intentional living. And so let's start by making sure we're all on the same page. Tell us what you mean when you say intentional living. We can start by just acknowledging that our brains have become hardwired over tens of thousands of years of evolution in ways that are no longer adaptive, or, or we might say they're maladaptive. For example, we all have a negativity bias. We tend to focus on the negative and forget about the positive. You know, we get out of bed in the morning and maybe we have an ache or a pain, you know, our back is stiff. So we focus on that and we just initiate the day with a cascade of thoughts about, you know, woe is me, this and that, instead of focusing on the miracle of the human body that we even woke up and could get out of bed at all and all the right. good things about our, our physical state. So we have a negativity bias. And the other thing is the way our brains have become wired is we're very distracted with the past and the future. So we have a hard time being present, which is where happiness lives. So it's adaptive to some extent to dwell in the past. We want to learn from our mistakes. We want to savor our good memories. But beyond that, we overthink the past. And with our negativity bias, we end up with a lot of shame and regret, low self-esteem and depression. And likewise, we overthink the future in ways that are maladaptive. And we catastrophize with our negativity bias and think of the worst thing that could happen. And we generate a lot of fear and anxiety. So if we're not intentional, if we don't have a plan, then we're going to simply lapse into our default modes of thinking. And that is negative and other than present. So if we want to be more positive and really focus on all the miraculous things that are happening around us all the time, including inside us, and we want to be more present and therefore happy, we need to have a plan. We need to be purposeful. And that's really where intention is a requisite component of happiness. Mm -hmm. And so when you set an intention, what do you mean? How do you go about doing that? Sure. Well, I can just, you know, briefly tell you about the gain method, the gain meditation. So we get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we do our morning hygiene, we find a comfortable place to sit. We close our eyes, hopefully in a quiet place, and we focus on our breath, we slow it down. So our first intention actually, with regard to this gain process begins the night before because we acknowledge we're going to do this gain meditation in the morning. It may take as little as three minutes. We're going to set our alarm three minutes earlier than we otherwise would. So who's going to miss that three minutes? Or we can go to bed three minutes earlier. So instead of getting up at seven o'clock, we're going to get up at 6.57. So we're setting our intention for this whole process the night before. And then we, we're sitting quietly. We focus on the breath. We slow down 
the inhalation, pause, and take a nice slow exhalation without any effort. By slowing our breathing down, we activate our parasympathetic nervous system. We slow our heart rate, lower our blood pressure, our blood sugar. And then we begin a con contemplation of that for which we're grateful. We all have much for which to be grateful. So we spend 45 seconds or so just sort of focusing on our friends, our family, our loved ones, our relative health, even if it's not perfect, it's miraculous that we're as healthy as we are, and all the other things for which we're grateful. And then we transition to acceptance. We need to acknowledge that there is pain in life and pain and joy are kind of hand in hand. And so we may take something uncomfortable or painful and actually imagine bringing it into our bodies, opening our chest, opening our heart, bringing this experience into our heart and nurturing it, enveloping it with our heart. And we find that it's not so bad and we can live with it. And then we transition to intention, which is where your question originated. And we start by having the intention of noticing what's happening in this moment. So we may just, for example, have the intention of noticing the pressure of the chair against our body, noticing the tingling on the soles of our feet, noticing the sounds that we're hearing as we breathe deeply and slowly. So for me, I have a meditation room in my home on Stanford campus. I'm sort of halfway between San Francisco and San Jose airports. I often hear a plane going by in the distance and it's, it becomes it's part of the meditation, of, right? <laughs> it does. It's, it's the part of the intention portion of the gain meditation because I'm setting my intention, as you put it, with what's happening right now. So I'm just spending 10 or 15 seconds noticing my bodily sensations, noticing my perceptions, what I feel, what I hear what I may smell, just a slight sweetness of the air I'm breathing. And so we spend 10 or 15 seconds being present in this way, really noticing what's happening in this moment. And then we go to our intention of generally looking at the positive side of things rather than the negative. And so what we're doing is we're actually rewiring our brains because as we focus on our gratitude, acceptance, intention, and then non-judgment in life, we're actually rewiring our brains toward a more positive and present way of thinking and experiencing and therefore being more happy. And so how long does that rewiring take? Because I know that over time it does completely start changing the way you look at the world when you get up, like the ache and pain that you have, you see it differently. But how long does that take for us to start doing? When, when do we start seeing results? You know, as in life, life is a journey, really, there's no destination. So I think we can notice a change in our thought processes very soon, like after days or a couple of weeks, what happens is when we, for example, do this gain practice, we set our intention the night before we sit, we breathe, we go through our gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment, we return to the breath, we slowly open our eyes we go out in the world, what happens is even after a short period of time uh, in days, uh, maybe a couple of weeks, we notice that when we're being ungrateful or resisting or unintentional, lapsing into our negativity bias, or we're judging, what happens is a light bulb goes off 
we just did our gain practice and we notice when we're being ungrateful, we're sort of whining and complaining. And then we remind ourselves, oh, these are first world problems, as my daughter would say. You know, these are not deal breakers. These are really pretty much small stuff things. And that light bulb moment actually brings us a bit of a smile. And then we simply redirect our thoughts back to gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So we do our gain meditation. We we go to work. Maybe we drive to work and there's a driver that is in the lane to the right of us. And he or she changes lanes into our lane without using the turn signal ahead of us. We start to make all these judgments about the driver. And then a light bulb goes off and we realize, you know, I just did my game meditation. I dropped the judgment. I realized that things don't have to be good or bad. And so I have some imagery associated with this. And a light bulb goes off and I smile and I drop the judgment of that driver and it actually feels good. I get a little dopamine hit. So instead of getting negative about it and getting angry, I actually have a smile and a little positive reaction. And, and that sort of light bulb moment where we notice our thoughts and experiences and we can redirect them, that happens actually just really after a short period of time. Yeah. And I've noticed when you start living that way, when you start thinking that way, you do offer people more grace in situations that come up or some of the things that all have pop into my head unexpectedly and automatically. It's like, well, you know what? I, I've done the same thing. You know, you know, I start seeing less judgment toward them and more like, okay, how many times have I done that? That's just karma saying, hey, <laughs> remember that time you cut someone off in traffic? You know, it does. It just starts changing the way you receive the experiences. Absolutely. So, you know, just drill a little bit deeper into that judgment process. In the gain meditation, when we do our non-judgment contemplation, I often personally, uh, I do this and I recommend that others do it. Just picture an image of the earth, one of these beautiful NASA images where the earth is apparently suspended in space. It's a, it's a beautiful planet and it's neither good nor bad. It's just a planet. So we kind of pronounce to ourselves as we breathe slowly and deeply, and we, we picture this image of the earth, the earth is just a planet. It's neither good nor bad. It's just the planet that it is. And therefore, it's only rational for me to look at myself the same way. I'm just a human being. I'm neither good nor bad. I simply am the human being that I am. And then we may repeat, I am, and link that with our breath. And then we slowly open our eyes. And again, what happens is when we find ourselves judging, like that driver we just discussed, or ourselves, when we find that we're judging ourselves, since we're our own harshest critic, we may notice that what we're doing is judging. And we also notice the fact that we're judging ourselves with this negativity bias. And so we can have that light bulb moment and just drop the judgment and go back to, I'm just the human being that I am. I'm neither good nor bad. And we learn that we don't have to cast a hue over the world and see things through this veil of negativity. We can look at things just exactly as they are without judging them to be good or bad. They just are what they are. And I think that's such an important change in our thought process. It's huge. And I want to dig into that a little bit more because as we've talked about, we do judge ourselves so harshly. And some people, I see people who just beat themselves up over and over. 
So how do we, before we start judging ourselves, how do we start setting our brain up to not do that? How do we get very specific and break that judgment, self-judgment habit? I think when you talk about intention, we need to have a plan and that really translates into having a practice, right? We need to have a practice that preferably is daily because, you know, our brains are very hardwired. And again, they became this way over tens of thousands of years, and we're not going to change them overnight. So we have to have sort of a baby step process, preferably a daily plan where we begin to rewire our brains. And that happens only through intention. If we're not purposeful, we just lapse into this negativity and this very judgmental way of being. So again, when we have this practice and we we find that we're judging ourselves, we're down on ourselves, we're getting depressed, we can have that light bulb moment and recognize that this is just the way our brains work. This is not something unique to us that we think this way in this negative way. This is the way we all think. So I think that's the first lesson is that this isn't our dirty little secret. We're not the only one that has these thoughts. We all have these thoughts. I, I was listening to a wonderful show on NPR called The Hidden Brain, and the host had somebody on who's an expert in the imposter syndrome. And the message was that we all feel this way. We all feel like imposters, no matter how accomplished we are. And this is, again, that that negative voice speaking to us. And so we need to have a plan to change the way we think. When we're having these very negative thoughts about ourselves, I like the cognitive behavioral approach of we're criticizing ourselves for a particular thing or things. Imagine we're talking to a good friend who's got the same voice, who's criticizing themselves for these things, something they did or said or didn't do. Would we be judging them harshly? No, we would probably be reassuring them and not judging them, just reassuring them that they're just a human being. We're all mortal. We're all fallible. We're not perfect. Don't be so hard on yourself. So use that same voice with yourself when you're getting into this very negative way of thinking and judging. And over time, it becomes easier to do that. You start recognizing it faster. You correct the behavior sooner. And you don't. You just don't go as deep into that judgment. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, one of my heroes in life is Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's really been a leader in mindfulness. And he defines mindfulness as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. So there are some of the gain elements. On purpose, we talked about intention. You need to have that purposefulness to have a plan to rewire our brain because we have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity. But we have to have a plan. So awareness of the present moment, which is where happiness lives, on purpose, with intention, non-judgmentally. And we touched on the importance of being non-judgmental, especially toward ourselves. So that gives us greater happiness. It gives us greater mental and emotional well-being. Talk about what it's doing for us physically, because you've you've been so great at bringing those two things together. Sure. Well, you know, we're all feeling kind of burnt out. I think that COVID amplified the stress that we all experience, which is just part of life. And burnout is simply the mental and physical exhaustion that we experience related to chronic stress. 
chronic stress is a condition where we have an increase in the adrenaline or epinephrine in our bodies, increases our heart rate, our blood pressure. We have an increase in cortisol, which is a hormone that also increases our blood pressure, increases our blood sugar, predisposes to diabetes and other adverse health conditions. Stress has a number of effect, physical effects on our body. It actually shortens these little protective caps we have at the tips of our chromosomes, which I liken to the little plastic protective tips at the end of our shoelaces that keep the ends of our shoelaces from becoming frayed. As we age, we have a shortening of these telomeres, and that's been associated with a degradation in the function of our cells and, and the aging process, and that is accelerated when we're stressed. So chronic stress actually induces changes akin to aging. And so, you know, there are so many physiologic effects of stress on our bodies, just about on every organ and tissue and cell in our body. And really stress ages us. So the question is, how do we change that? And that's really what we're talking about with this gain method, with a practice of non-judgment, with a practice of mindfulness meditation. These are ways of increasing our personal resilience and decreasing the amount of stress that we experience, lowering our heart rate, our blood pressure, our cortisol, our blood sugar, reversing this, this process of our telomere shortening, our cells degrading, our genetics, our epigenetics degrading. So it's so important that we recognize that we have this chronic stress and what the effects are and that we really make priority number one in our lives actually addressing this. Yeah, because I've seen people being a lot less healthy since the pandemic and of all ages. We have some fairly young friends that are in their early 30s who are talking about these health problems they've started having since the pandemic. And is that an effect of the stress or is it because we got so unhealthy sitting around during the pandemic or what's what has created this? Because I'm seeing it everywhere from, like I said, like early 30s up into their 60s and 70s. I would say all of the above. What happens is, you know, the the three legs that form the tripod supporting our physical well-being, which then supports our mental and spiritual well-being, are sleep, exercise and nutrition. So what are the effects of stress? on our sleep, exercise, and nutrition. Well, you know, sort of briefly, stress causes a degradation in the quality and quantity of our sleep. So when we're stressed, we don't sleep as well, of course. We all have experienced this. We wake up early in the morning and we're our minds are racing with all kinds of lists of things we have to do and anxieties and stresses. So stress degrades our sleep, makes us fatigued, when we're fatigued, we tend to be too tired to exercise. So our exercise regimen sort of goes downhill. And we saw this in COVID where, you know, gyms were closed and people spent a lot more time indoors, not only depriving themselves of the magic of nature, but also not exercising very much. They're fatigued. We're, are, we're not exercising. And our diet actually degrades as well. We're tired. So we reach for these sugary and fatty so-called comfort foods to give us a boost of energy. Of course, then we crash and these foods are not healthy. So our sleep, exercise and nutrition are very interrelated. And when we're stressed, they all are degraded. And of course, 
the sleep, exercise, and nutrition habits and practice that we have are so integral to our health overall. When we're not sleeping well, we're not exercising, we're not eating well, of course, you know, we're more predisposed to hypertension, diabetes. Again, the effects of stress are magnified when we're fatigued, not exercising, and not eating well. This is all like a sort of a self-propagating loop that is causing us to spiral in a downward direction. And it's difficult to tell someone who's going through that, that doing some meditation or setting intentions is going to actually turn that around. You might advise your listeners, well, if you're tired and feel out of shape and you're kind of depressed, focus on the basics of sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So just for example, address your sleep hygiene. You know, there's several things we all know what to do, but we don't do them typically, but we really want to improve our sleep. So instead of perhaps recommending something abstract, like setting intentions, you could say something specific, like let's address our sleep. So focus on your sleep hygiene and start to sleep better. What you're really advising when you ask someone to really focus on their sleep and sleep hygiene is you're asking them to set their intention right? That is an intention. It's improving your health by improving your sleep. So that's a very tangible sort of easy to understand concrete bit of advice that does involve intentions. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking this time with me. You've been, you're so insightful, a lot we can learn from you. As I said, we're going to tell them how they can learn more about you and, and your books. And I just appreciate you taking time with me today. Well, likewise, it's been really a pleasure having a conversation with you. That was Dr. Greg Hammer talking about how to live with intention. If you'd like to learn more about Greg and his book, Gain Without Pain, or follow him on social media, just visit us at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.